0: to breakfast what's before lunch it's Austin,
1: Texas it's weird brunch like you know how chilies they all congregate around your table? No they don't anymore
0: Mm -mm. no you order from a machine which you could have done before anyway
1: they were already going that direction
0: let's Mm -hmm. be honest I do I think um, I think Olive Garden needs to be commended for how quickly they changed their tagline. Oh, what, what they changed it to? W- oh, god damn it. From like, when you're here, you're family to like, we're all family here or something. Like They just flipped a couple oh, of words oh. to where mm-hmm. it's like, you don't have to be inside here. Clever. I think that was oh. my favorite brand thing that happened. Remember in the beginning when all of these cars were like, be safe and drive far away. <laughs> like in the end of March, had those ready to go psychos. It's almost like they knew.
1: <clears throat> it's a trip to go back to our first week of pandemic podcast and hear just how freaked out we were that Tom Hanks had it. I, and we were all the in the same room. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I listened to part of that because I'm pretty sure that's the one where we talk about the uh, people who killed their two kids. What's their last name? Anyways. um, And there was an update on that recently. The Mm -hmm. can't remember a name. It's the one that you tried to do the same story as me, Lisa. But uh, Mm -hmm. I recall. (laughs) It's funny to hear us be like, oh, my God, Tom Hanks and Rita. Emphasis on the Rita part, you know,
0: because yeah. everyone's mm-hmm.
2: such a huge fan. And now here we are, grizzled post pandemic hermits being forced back out into the ocean.
0: <laughs> I wish hermits. it was the ocean. So
2: we could just float away and just, die.
0: Yeah. Put me on a forever cruise. I don't give a fuck anymore.
2: Well, you're about to She's go on fine. one, right?
0: In October, yes. Oh, so not about. Uh, You're going on a cruise? I, yep. My folks suckered us into one. Me and CJ. CJ finally got a passport. So now my parents are like, cha-ching. We're bringing them. We're going to treat them like friends. (laughs) I mean, I'd take them up on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're like, covering most of it is like a weird gift <clears throat> um so yeah i'm not gonna say no to that
2: mm. so you'll have oh. to like pay them back for it later in other types of
0: in an emotional mm-hmm. way yeah, in emotional yes. ways got
2: it yeah cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: you don't call me enough remember that cruise i took you on mm-hmm.
2: god damn oh well,
1: you'll definitely come back with good weird brunch stories from that i'm sure
2: or you'll encounter a bunch of like people who have been stuck on that cruise ship since the pandemic if we remember or them i
0: will get stuck on that cruise ship <gasps> oh, yeah. because october is a long way away that
2: is true
0: actually it's not that far which is sad um Well, so just to sound as bougie as possible, uh, when I was 13, I went on a cruise and it was uh, the same stops that were going on. So it's just going to be the same thing, but me far less shitty (laughs) of a person.
2: I'm grown. I do know that. Take the same pictures and like reenact your favorite moments or funny you say that
0: Mm. one I didn't have any favorite moments I just sat in the room and looked out the little peephole
2: (laughs) it's very 13 Uh, of you to do though oh
0: it was so emotional (laughs) I was going through it um but the pictures thing is funny because the so the the cruise companies they build their own little towns that you stop in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom told me that she made friends with some guy who like, was a mercenary at some point and he like, has taken them outside of the safe zone of places which I'm like, is Dang. he going to be on there? Because I'm down. Yeah. Um, but if you take any photos of any of the um, you know, here's the... <sighs> So if, if, uh, a woman is walking around this, this town, quote unquote, uh, and Mm -hmm. she's got, let's say she's got like some bananas and apples and shit on her head and she's balancing it. And you're like, I want a fucking picture of that. Hello, Instagram influence my dick on this, uh, and then she's immediately like, "Give me ten bucks, you motherfucker! I saw you take that
2: picture." Oh, I, I feel like that's how it is in Vegas and New Orleans, also. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and like uh,
0: Times Square type shit, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's just—it's weird to me because I'm like, none of it's. This is a fake place.
2: I don't know. None of this is real. Nothing, it's you know. It hasn't scary. been. But not technically Disney. Yeah. God. This has been the longest week of my life, I think. Dude, (gasps) same. I'm so tired already. (laughs) It's why. Wednesday. I'm fucking exhausted.
0: Well, fuck me. I thought it was Thursday until just now. Did you
2: really? Bad news. Oh, no. We so like so uh yeah it is only wednesday feels very thursday definitely only a wednesday i hate uh,
0: this every month <laughs> this I'm, everyone is fucking turning this off right now but every month i have to do a huge ass deck for like here's what uh, happened last month and it's always like hell week so every third Fourth week is just fucking wrecked for me and that's this week so my day um my work days so far have been about 10 to 12
2: hours yeah and i Uh, just want to sleep office space or whatever the Mm -hmm. every day you see me that's on the worst day of my life like yes Mm. here we are welcome back to the oh. normal times. Fuck.
0: It's unsolicited deck week.
2: Solicited
0: deck. <laughs> oh, no, it's solicited yes. as fuck and I wish it wasn't.
2: Welcome to Weird brunch <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I wanna talk about dairy. And uh, mm-hmm. I know Lisa oh, loves fuck the off. Good glass I'm already of milk. mad. She I'm loves a good mad. glass of milk. I mean i love cheese i karina how do you feel about dairy i
1: will only like cheese and butter if you've solidified dairy i'm in mm-hmm. but if it's still liquid i'm not a what big about like a milk. sour
2: cream I'm,
1: mm-hmm yeah solidified i'm in cottage cheese uh no that's cat food mm.
0: No, it's not. I love cottage cheese. Yes, it is. That's cat food. So I had to feed these
1: disgusting-smelling kittens cottage cheese for a week when I was a child, and, and ever since then, oh, I
2: just
0: can't. No. I it's human food. Can I mm-hmm. ask a? It's a Jessica mm-hmm. Simpson question, mm-hmm. but I, I do know the answer. I just want to make sure that I know the answer. What egg? egg eggs aren't dairy, right?
2: No,
1: it, okay. no cows don't lay eggs,
2: but they are but in, the in the dairy section. section. It's true, yeah. they're in the dairy section. There's probably something yes, they behind farm
1: based produce, yeah, exactly. Farm based produce, yes, dairy, no.
2: So, thank you. <laughs> after clearing up that chickens are not dairy, <laughs> uh, let's. Let's go back. I mean,
1: I guess if you squeeze their tits for chicken milk, you'd have
2: there to you, do it. There, there, you go, there you go, because chickens have nipples. Um, they don't. They're not nipples. I know. I yep, that. Yeah. There you go. Can't even squeeze milk out of a chicken. Um. Okay. <laughs> the so. chaotic
0: energy we have today is beautiful.
2: Uh, in let's in 1916, a smart guy mm-hmm. named James L. Kraft, K-R-A-F-T, patented uh. a manufacturing process that allowed for mass production of an orange cheese quote product, which contained a okay. mixture of Colby, cheddar, and curds and emulsifiers. And the brilliant thing about this cheese was that it tasted pretty all right and it would keep for a very 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 long time compared to all other cheeses and most other foods in the early 1900s. Uh it's nice that he, you know, like created this process because our government really mm-hmm, came mm-hmm. to use it a fit well not efficient, it's government at all. cheese, baby. Yes, and that's what oh. we're talking about today. I love it. Uh, so I have such a fun story about it. Okay, oh, I'm excited for after, or I wonder if it's in my story, but whatever. It's, it's
0: not, but after, yes.
2: All right, it could be. I mean, I know it's not, but it could be so. In Throughout the 1900s, you know, uh, the government is trying to help out farmers. Farmers are, I feel like, are always kind of going through something. And then in the 1930s, shit's really hitting the fan for uh, dairy farmers. And the government is like, well, we need to help them out. So we're going to start buying dairy products from these dairy farmers so we can keep the price of dairy, like, at what it is and we're going to just do something with this dairy. So what they're buying is not like straight up milk. They're buying the kind of non-perishable-ish dairy. So they're buying butter. They're buying that processed cheese, any other types of like cheddar, uh, block cheese, whatever. And uh, black cheese block. I don't know. I'm thinking of like blocks of cheese. They're just fucking buying this shit up. By the 1980s, these stockpiles of cheese are so fucking huge. Billions and billions of pounds of cheese. There's four pounds of cheese per every single American In the United States by the 1980s, in a stockpile by the government. Yeah. So,
0: was it in a vault?
2: Well, (laughs) it was in a few different places. Let me tell you. So, storing these cheeses and butters was starting to become very expensive because there's billions of piles of cheese, of pounds of cheese, and the government can't stop taking all of the dairy because they're trying to keep the dairy farmers afloat. For a few years, they try to slow their stockpiling by paying dairy farmers not to produce any dairy for five years, and they started buying cattle herds of dairy cows to try and make this stop. So part of this was because of Jimmy Carter, our farmer president, he uh, was into helping them out, but the, it keeps going up. And by 1981, Reagan is in charge and, um, you know, fucking over literally every single poor person that he can In almost every single way, except for this one particular way, because he was forced to not do it. Uh, In 1981, the Reagan administration is like, we have so much fucking cheese. We've got to get rid of it somehow. It's all going to mold like uh, they have it across 35 states in different warehouses just hundreds of pounds of cheese. They've been putting it into limestone caves. Currently still the largest surplus of stockpiled government cheese is in Missouri. And there is 1.2 billion pounds of cheese in this limestone fucking cave. All right. So billion. I, I might be wrong on the billion. I have to look at it again when I get there. But it's huge. (laughs) Um, All right. So 1981, they're like, all right, we're going to start. We can't. The easiest thing we could do is dump this all into the ocean. Um, But that would look bad. We could try and send it overseas, which is what the government does do when they have surpluses of stockpiled food. They'll send it to like other countries that are going through some shit or whatever. But cheese doesn't carry well enough to be sent overseas. So they can't throw it away. They can't send it overseas. What are we going to do? And Ronald Reagan's administration is like, fine. I mean, we didn't want to give this to poor people because we clearly hate everyone who's poor, but I guess that's what we're going to do. And that is where the term government cheese really gets going. So he's like, all right, I want to distribute 30 million pounds of government cheese. I'm going to look like an awesome dude. We're going to give it to low-income families, people who are on Medicaid and uh, – you know, all the states that want to do this, just apply. And guess what? We'll get you some of this American uh, government cheese. But it's a little different than the craft stuff you're thinking of. Uh, it's similarly processed, but apparently from what I've read, government cheese is a lot saltier, a little bit more viscous. It was important that it had a certain melting point. They had cheese graters, and that's G-R-A-D-E-R-S, who would determine if the cheese was soft enough to the point where it could be easily melted. Because most people were eating the cheese from the government that they got for free in like a macaroni or grilled cheese sandwich style. Delicious. Don't you love it? Um, Mm -hmm. So a major problem with this is that uh, a lot of people are lactose intolerant. And by a lot, uh, I mean, of Americans, 75% of African Americans are lactose intolerant, 51% of Latinos and 80% of Asians and 21% of Caucasians. And so if we know all this correctly. Uh, Minorities do dominate the lower income families, especially back then in the 80s. And so all of the free food people are getting because they need help ends up being dairy based. And it's all just kind of making everybody feel like shit Constantly, because the only food they can get is food that their bodies can't actually process. Uh, On top of this stuff that's going on, we've got our government cheese. We also have Reagan, um, he's creating this like cheese kind of force Basically, I thought
0: you were going to say forts. fort.
2: <laughs> I mean, there literally were forts of cheese. That's for sure. Um, so he creates. Oh, God. Hold on. I'm trying to find it. There's a lot of articles on this, and I highly recommend everybody read it because it's Fucking crazy. Okay, so the temporary emergency food assistance program is what was created to disperse the 30 million pounds of government cheese from our our country's stockpile. Uh, Mm -hmm. It ultimately distributed over 300 million pounds of cheese over the next few years. Uh, People started to like culturally refer to it as government cheese also as like a sign of like being poor. I mean, I know the term government cheese. I assume y'all did too, since you both said it. Um, and it's becoming even more and more culturally relevant. People are putting it in their songs. Jay-Z refers to it in one of his songs. Kendra Lamar talks about it in another one of his songs. And uh, it's, a, unfortunately, what a lot of people lived off of. Um, hold on. I'm trying to still find all this stuff. Um, so the stockpiles of cheese were worth over $4 billion. <sighs> what? <laughs> It's just so funny to say. Um, Reagan signed his stockpile or the bill. They start getting the cheeses distributed. And at the same time, I can't fucking find the name of this part, but I'm going to call it cheese force or dairy force. They're the people who are also a section of the government, food, agriculture, whatever, who are supposed to be promoting just the sale of dairy in general. So the government doesn't have to keep buying cheese and products from farmers to maintain a steady dairy price.
0: They're called the cowpokes,
2: the cowpokes. Uh So the cowpokes are the people who fucking came up with got milk They're the people who made up the play for 60 thing that is way more recent. I remember seeing it in like kids commercials. So it's like, get up, go outside and play for 60 seconds every day or 60 minutes.
0: It's dairy. It's dairy something associated. Like I remember the little, like it's almost like a, like a triangle. I think
2: it's like the PCC or something super easy like that. Uh, But the so they, the CDC no not the CDC the <laughs> CDC anyways we've got
1: non-break of cheese so, the,
2: oh okay it was just called dairy management <laughs> duh
0: I was I was very okay. close federally
2: funded nonprofit whose mission is to promote American made dairy products recognizable in their Got Milk advertising campaign and their Fuel Up to Play 60 campaign. This company or this nonprofit federal entity also paid for the bailout of Domino's pizza, which I'm pretty sure is what I just ate some of in the 2010 recession. (laughs) So their main strategy is to increase consumer confidence in milk and dairy products by expounding their health benefits and nutritional value. Um, That's
0: why they always ask me if I want to cheese it up
2: and I do. I mean, we all do. The average American consumes 14 more pounds of cheese per year than they did in 1990, which isn't that long ago, the late 1900s. So 30 14 pounds yes. of cheese a year, which already seems like too much. But considering are people pooping less? Or just having more diarrhea? I mean. I guess yeah, I guess you know? it's a flip of the coin. Um so we've got all this cheese dairy propaganda being thrown at us. We all know that there's been major issues with the food pyramid. Like that was all a scam for literally everybody. Um but Milk. It was. Yeah. The food pyramid is fucked. Do you remember that? Well, I mean, I remember being taught it and then learning very recently somewhat that, I mean, the food pyramid, remember the whole bottom part that you're supposed Mm -hmm. to eat the most of is bread. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyways. For your energy. For energy. Yeah. So let's talk about milk a little bit because that's what the dairy management people. Obviously, we're focused on. So, love it. I think mm-hmm. most children always, I think it still happens today. You get a little carton of milk with your lunch at school, right? Karina, does, do your kids get milk? Do they got milk?
1: <clears throat> They're homeschooled. Oh, shit.
2: <clears throat> well, whatever.
1: Well, but that's kind of real. Are they
0: getting it? But bef- that, are you depriving kind of your children right? milk? Do not give yes. them milk cartons? Never. Join the movement. The movement.
2: They might find
1: out that we've stolen their children, their friends.
2: So what? the tiny little – no,
1: I, Yeah, they still do. Yeah, the, the tiny schools,
2: little yeah. cartons of milk. I was not a milk drinker as a kid unless it was chocolate. I hated having to always have my milk at lunch because I didn't really like it, uh, but this is all part of the milk agenda. So every school, Ooh. any of the milk that- so mad about that. <laughs> mad about the milk agenda. Uh, so they're convincing all these children and their parents that milk is an essential part of a well-balanced diet, which is largely an American and white-centric notion. Uh, the majority of everyone else in the world doesn't really see milk that way, but our government keeps dumping cheese and dairy all over us. And they're like, guess what? This is all you get on top of all the kids having to like buy milk in school. It was super common. Um, if you are getting like a free meal at school, a lot of times it's just a cheese sandwich. Like here it is bread, cheese, carton of milk. That's what you get, which is probably why all those little kids constantly had diarrhea. So another uh. part of that is prison. In prison, they have cheese on everything, and it's a huge staple of every prisoner's diet because of this extra excess government cheese. Uh, they have contracts. Most prisons have contracts with dairy suppliers, um, and the dairy suppliers bid on them. It's like a huge money-making p- thing for dairy people. Uh, so school milk accounts for 7% of all fluid milk sales in the United States, which is crazy. Um what is what is
0: non-fluid milk
2: like cheese? <laughs> Karina likes oh, all the hard milks, pizza. all the cheese, butter. I don't
1: like it when it's put that way.
2: The eggs are made of yeah. milk, Lisa.
1: They're hard milk.
0: Well, there's hard no milk eggs are. Cheese. Come on, y'all. We know <laughs> eggs aren't hard.
1: Um, it's on the outside.
2: So. Uh-huh
1: soft on the inside like
2: "Mm." the government also will uh like dairy (laughs) it's true um will basically buy back ish the milk or make the milk that schools sell to kids like it's basically free like the government is basically buying this to give to the schools to sell the milk and promote the milk consumption. Um,
0: This is a Ponzi scheme, what you're describing. But
2: it's not because the only people it's like, so that's the weird part about it is like, it's all to keep the dairy industry afloat, if you will. um, And to keep the price of milk at what it is currently and make sure it slightly rises with inflation. There are like milk lobbyists still like lobbying for the milk people also. Um the government has tried to slow milk production in an effort to stop stockpiling these millions of pounds of cheese and milk powder and butter. Um, but it didn't really do anything. Uh, litigation against the USDA's pro milk campaigns, um, and like lawsuits concerning milk carton labels, uh, have been all unsuccessful. The government's decision to prioritize, prioritize the dairy industry, over low-income people and all of the people who have to consume cheese and dairy even though it makes them sick is uh super fucked up it's also expensive but they'd rather spend billions of dollars maintaining all of the cheese stockpiles than uh spending it by figuring out how to help out people who actually need it what's the question Okay, so
0: kids missing kids mm. on the carton. Yes. What is the government? The government is involved in that.
2: I'm pretty sure that's you cannot tell me no. a local advertising campaign is where it came from, right? I mean, I down. mean,
0: I would. Yeah, like in uh, Missouri, I think.
2: I can't remember.
0: What, was it only in Missouri? Right above the cheese cave?
2: Right around the cheese, right around the corner from the cheese cave. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, well, I that's just something to maybe okay. I'll get high and deep dive on that later.
2: So I was, so let me correct myself. So the Springfield, Missouri cheese cave is 2 million square feet of refrigerated Warehouse space inside of this cave in the underground, and that's where the largest cheese supply is currently.
1: Yeah, I I googled one point two billion pounds of cheese, and it is exactly what you promised. It is billions of. Is that what it is? Okay, tons, billions of tons. It's
2: it's a lot of fucking cheese, y'all.
1: It's too much. Yeah, I just
2: yeah. why we could drop
1: that as like a bomb and probably win mm-hmm. a, whatever war we're give everyone wins.
2: diarrhea at least
0: win the I cheese war. That would be a. I, I just feel like they missed an opportunity to call it the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, oh.
2: dang! Damn Cheesecake it. Factory, love Stay it
1: right there. Well done.
2: Very nice. I've y'all have had government cheese? Oh. 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 Is that Yes. Your yeah, yeah.
0: So, um I worked at the Houston Food Bank uh in a while back and um it was a really cool thing, a really cool time. I worked in the communications department. So I was doing, you know, social media, graphic design, video, like kind of all of it cuz nonprofit. And we went. We would go out to houses of people that were, um, you know, using the food bank. They, you know, would go to food pantries, and we, there were relationships with with certain people that were uh, food insecure. And uh, we went to this one house, and I like honestly, I I was never like thrown off. Like I was never like. Uh, like oh my god this is terrible Uh, like living circumstances but this one was like the, the coolest of them all because mm-hmm. this guy he made a bunch of like boats and castles and like large um like uh, building type things with toothpicks and that was like his jam and so we just like hung out with him and he was showing us all of his Like really beautiful creations. And then his wife was like, do you all want a grilled cheese? And I was like, no, 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 no. We don't. No, 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 no. And then she was like, I'm making you one. Because she was like, you know, they're two grandparents that are like, honey, eat this. And it was the best goddamn grilled cheese I've ever had. Government cheese rules. It's like Velveeta, but like on crack
2: interesting delicious
0: it's amazing
2: I, f- I feel i assume i must have had it at some point in my life and i just don't remember it but i did read that a bunch of restaurants uh also took the government cheese and like that's like a big reason why well and all the cheese lobbying why everything in america is covered in cheese when you eat it but i wonder oh, if yeah. that's like I just love, like, the shitty grated – like, I love flat cheese. I love the grated cheese specifically, the kind that you get at enchiladas y Mas or, like, on, like, a Taco Bell or Taco Cabana. Like, mm. you know, like the, it's –
0: the Mexican blend.
2: No, but, like, yes. a Mexican blend oh. that you get from, like, HEB or something is, like, thin – it's, like, good – Ish, at least cheese. Mm -hmm. Like I want the kind that, in about like, above eighty-five degrees, it will become queso. Like I, okay, you know, it's not, it's not a normal kind of cheese. Mm. It's almost like grated Velveeta. Ish. That's
0: probably what it is. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I've tried to grade Velveeta before, though, and it doesn't work.
1: Does you just have to be very patient, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work very well.
0: Whitney, Whitney's great at patience.
2: Yes, I, I am. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Let's go.
0: Um, I can go uh, next since I I mentioned great. Houston Food Bank and just mosey right back into Houston if that's all right with y'all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or Karina, did you have something that was dairy related? <laughs>
1: Not at all. Not even close. No.
0: Okay. 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 Um, yeah. So, I want to talk about a gentleman named Charles Rogers. Uh, so, uh, let me take you back. Houston, uh, 1965. Uh, this is June 23rd. It's a Wednesday after Father's Day. Hey, don't forget <laughs> your daddies matter in a week. Um the Houston police captain Charles Bullock and his partner L.M. Barta are dispatched to eighteen fifty fifteen Driscoll, the home of Fred and Edwina Rogers, for a welfare check. Uh, what's up with them? Uh, also, I googled the address because I was like, I know that fucking street. This was two blocks away from
2: where Dang. I lived
0: when I was. In oh, uh, I <laughs> yeah, I got weird. Um, so Edwina's nephew, Marvin Martin,
2: <laughs> why would you do that to your poor baby? Uh, I bet they Marvin the Martin, like, there's no way they didn't, anyways. Well, sorry, yeah,
0: I mean, it was also, yeah, the 60s. I feel like that was around the time, very Marvin the Martian time, yeah. Uh, so. Marvin the Martin had not heard from his aunt for like a few days. And he's like, I kind of talked to this bitch a lot. Like what's going on? So that's how the cops show up. They knock on the door and there's nothing. Um, so they go around back. And when they go around back, they find like a weird barricade of flower pots blocking the door, which is, I, I don't know why, but in my mind I'm like, it's kind of whimsical.
2: <laughs> right. In a fucked
0: up way. Like, a little,
2: oh. A little old lady would do that.
0: Yeah. Um, but obviously, that's sus as fuck. And so they push in the door. Uh, and immediately, Bullock is like, he, he gets the creeps. He gets the creeps real bad, real bad creeps. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, he's like, something just didn't feel right. And when they got in, so like as soon as they push in, they're in the kitchen, right? So they they notice that there's some food sitting on the dining room table. That's always a sign of something. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old the food is though, right? Uh so who knows? And then uh and then Bullock for some reason he opens the fridge and he's like, I don't know why. I don't know why I did it. I think it's because anytime anyone walks into a kitchen where the homeowner isn't there, you open the fridge. The fridge mm-hmm. is the fucking pill cabinet of the kitchen. Yes, yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. So Bullock and Barda open the fridge, and there, and they just see like all of this, uh, like pounds of like cut meat. Um, and they're like, oh shit. I guess hog meat, like it's it looks like hog meat. Um, but hold up. <laughs> Always check the crisper because that's where yeah. Fred and Edwina's heads are. No. Nice. Yike. Um an article from the Amarillo Globe Times published the next day describing the scene, quote On all the shelves and in the freezer compartment were the dismembered bodies cut in unwrapped, washed off pieces smaller than individual joints. Oh, fuck. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Growth. They determined that Edwina had been beaten and then shot in the head execution style. Fred had been bludgeoned with a claw hammer.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, They were dragged to the master bedroom, drained of blood, and dismembered. So all of that happened in, like, I guess, you know, turning the master bedroom into some kind of Frankenstein dungeon.
2: Awful. Oof.
0: Yeah yeah, this one's not a, a fun one. Uh it gets just just like this much fun for me in a minute. Um so Fred's genitals were removed, his eyes were gouged out, and police later discovered the couple's organs in a nearby sewer. Huh. They had been removed, cut up, and flushed down the
2: toilet. Oh, It's weird that they would take the time to, like, I don't know, cut up the bodies and wrap them up and store them, but they didn't want to keep the organs. Yeah, Uh, it's like the
0: opposite of a fucking Egyptian burial or something. Yeah, I don't... um, but that's the uh, same sewer that I used 50 years later. Um, and then, let's see. Uh, the Globe Times also said whoever did this apparently took their time and knew what they were doing. The dismembering was a fairly neat job. So the medical examiner was like, okay, I did pretty good. Um <laughs> God. Uh, all right, so let's let's think about this. It's Father's Day. all right. We're going way beyond just killing the couple. we're we're taking this. It seems a little personal. uh, so the investigation into what is now being called the ice box murders. Uh, it pivots to a single suspect, mm, pretty fucking fast. Because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you look at the forty-three-year-old son who still lives at home. <laughs> oh no, <man>. uh, <laughs> sweet, sweet Charles. <laughs> so Charles Rogers lived with his parents, uh, and when the they walked in, when the cops walked in, the house had been very carefully cleaned but there was blood found on the keyhole of his door and he was somehow gone <laughs> just mm-hmm. disappeared so uh let's see this is from a 1991 uh HPD investigation uh and it, so this is kind of quoted from that but um Found in the house besides the bodies in the refrigerator was a sophisticated shortwave set connected to an antenna, similar to those used by intelligence agents. He has had no job. This is based on Charles Rogers. He has had no job since 1957, but was always well-dressed. He had a pilot's license and flew for Air America he had numerous post office boxes under assumed names. Mm. We learn mm. a lot. Um, so Charles Rogers enrolled at Texas A&M University in 1942. Gagin. Sounds like a draft dodger. Uh, and later he dropped out uh, and then he enrolled in the University of Houston where he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in nuclear physics. Uh, this is me going back on what I just said. During World War II, Rogers was a pilot in the United States Navy and also served in the Office of Naval Intelligence. After the war, he worked as a seismologist for Shell Oil for nine years. Like, this dude is kind of like a, a fucking genius who can do everything is, is where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he abruptly quits his job in 1957 gives no explanation. Uh, friends and associates of Rogers later said that he was highly intelligent and had a talent for finding gas, oil and gold for the companies for which he worked. He also spoke seven languages and had an interest in ham radios uh in the mid 1950s rogers joined the civil air patrol which i just by context clues i feel like i know what that is what is it uh you know when folks are like uh, it's like the air force but for like like kitty times
2: kitty times
0: you know where I you're like it. where you're like yeah i'll take this uh helicopter or small plane and and i'll i'll look for the missing kid from up here
2: oh it's like a At, like a volunteer or something thing.
0: You may, yeah i don't i didn't look i need to look it up <sighs> um so let's see raw. uh Charles would leave home before dawn and return after dark, but no one was actually sure if he had a job. So even after he quit a uh, shell in 1957, they, he was still leaving and then coming home. And so everyone was like, I don't know what's going on with him. So he rarely saw his parents in real life. And he communicated with them by slipping notes under the door. Sorry. No. That's that's the response, uh, and most of his neighbors didn't even know what he looked like, um, and so authorities are kind of piecing together the Rogers family life, and they're like, mm, "Hold up, uh, we have uh, Icebox Murders forensic accountants Hugh and Martha Gardnier." Uh, they are. They start reinvestigating this in 1997. So they believe that Rogers planned the murder for his parents for years uh, because his father was abusive and both parents were, quote, devious con artists. According to them, Fred Rogers worked uh, his father worked as a bookie who regularly engaged in illegal activities such as gambling and fraud. Uh, they believe Mm -hmm. that he continued abusing Charles into adulthood and began stealing large sums of money from him because motherfucker, if you work at shell for 48 to 57, you have money. Uh, so he's taking money from him, and then at the end of their lives, they, um, his parents, Edwina and Fred, were defrauding him by forging his signature on deeds of land that he owned. Oh uh, at all. I know. And then uh, Charles actually owned the house that they lived in, not his parents. And Edwina had apparently taken out loans on it and pocketed the money. So, uh, you know, I don't know that dismembering is how you would handle that, but definitely shitty parents. Um, so after after they kind of single out Charles as uh, the number one suspect, they can't find him. So there's a nationwide search to find him. Fucking nothing, nothing, no one, nothing. No one knows where this guy is. There's no information. And so in 1975, a Houston judge declares Rogers legally dead. I thought, hmm, that's a little fast, little, little too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did that so that his estate could be probated because this is in Montrose. <laughs> like this is in the Montrose area. And so the 70s were kind of like where it first start, you know, you see that first wave. It's still it's still trashy and beautiful, beautiful, trashy. Um, But if you look at it now, it's a whole ass thing. Um, So the house, uh, like I said, is at 1815 Driscoll Street. And after the murders, it remained empty and unsold. It was torn down in 72. So this was um, even after it was torn down. The lot was just empty, and so they were like, okay, that guy's dead. Let's just get rid of this. Uh, and it remained empty until 2000 when condominiums were built on the lot, which is very fucking Um But <laughs> uh, the mystery lives on beyond his death. Uh, so here we go. Some suspect that Charles Rogers might have been involved in the plot to kill John F. Kennedy. Hmm. Oh, my God. Really? Oh, we about to make some ties. Uh, So Charles Rogers neighbors said that both Charles Harrelson. Who's that? Woody Harrelson's yeah. hitman uh, father. Right, right, right. Oh, right. And Lee Harvey Oswald visited his house in September of nineteen sixty-three, awaiting Rogers, who was late for their meeting. Quick reminder Charles Harrelson was all over the Houston area at that time. Mm-hmm.
2: So killing judges. <laughs> Karina, I can hear that. are in the
1: Charles time. Harrison U- cinematic universe now.
2: Yes. Yes. I just want to watch Loki.
0: Um, so <laughs> when he was, when uh, Charles Rogers was in the Civil Air Patrol, he, he met David Ferry. This is a whole, I know I don't have time and you don't want me to have time to get into <laughs> David Ferry's shit. Because holy shit. Um, but he's JFK conspirator, a whole lot going on there. So, um, according to an argument put forth by John R. Craig and Philip A. Rogers in the 1992 book, The Man on the Grassy Knoll, uh, Rogers was a CIA agent and it was likely that he impersonated Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City. And along with Charles Harrelson was one of two shooters involved in the assassination of president Kennedy. The authors contend that Rogers Harrelson and Chauncey Holt were the three tramps arrested in Dealey Plaza after the assassination. Uh, So I think we may have posted some of those when we talked about Charles Harrelson uh, but he, one of the three guys is like legit is Charles uh, Rogers.
2: Wait, so, it's been proven? Yeah. Ooh. It is known. It I is believe known.
0: So. I believe so. Uh, so they're arrested in Dealey Plaza after the assassination and that Rogers murdered his parents because his mother was tracking his many telephone calls. So I that was one part. Another thing said that uh, she had read his diary. So the idea is that part of that murder is because they knew the truth. Um, also, in, okay. Also in this account, uh, Rogers fled to Guatemala. Um, there is a Globe Magazine. PDF that I have, and it's just delightful. I will share it. Um, so that 1991 Houston Police Department, uh, investigation thing that I was talking about, uh, it was actually specifically about the Dealey Plaza tramps. Uh, and then this is from that as well. Just recently, the Houston PD discovered that the FBI originally never fulfilled the request Uh, And has since refused the request by the Houston police department to put Charles Frederick Rogers into the computer, meaning put this guy on a fucking list. And the FBI is like, no. Um, And, and it says Houston police officials find this reluctance by the FBI to be very strange to say the least. Um, The guard, gardeniers Gardeniers, uh, have dismissed John R. Craig and Philip A. Rogers' claim that Rogers was a CIA operative due to a lack of evidence. (laughs) Uh, They admit that Rogers did have dealings with contract workers for the CIA when he worked as a seismologist. So, it, it's present in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, 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 that's unproven. But um, the uh, they claim to know where he ended up. They say that they traced Charles Rogers movements to Mexico, uh, where he purportedly landed a mining job through his oil industry connections. Uh, and allegedly he himself was murdered. With oh. a pickaxe by miners in Honduras, M-I-N-E-R. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> let's see. In the end, if Rogers did manage to kill his parents and disappear, his theoretical work for the CIA isn't as outlandish as it seems. After all, he left not a single trace, completed his mission, and vanished like a ghost. Charles Except Rogers. For the
2: blood on the keyhole.
0: Yeah, but I feel like there's always blood on the keyhole.
2: You got to put blood on the keyhole.
0: You got to put your blood you on the to. keyhole.
2: <laughs> got to put you your do. blood on the keyhole if you're gonna murder your parents and put them in a freezer. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Wow. Thank you. That's
1: a good country song. Mm-hmm.
2: It
0: really is. Um. Yeah. So yeah. Great mystery. No idea. Definitely believe that he and Harrelson murdered JFK. I'll say that. There you go. Uh, I mean, it is known.
1: Okay. Well, mine ties in. Cool. In 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 all the disgusting ways that it that it should, and also my lighting is perfect for this.
2: I was going to say it looks like we're watching like a hacker movie, and your screen is mm-hmm. like the profile the what the computer sees when the hacking is happening
1: yeah i wish i could get some green digits going mm-hmm. instead of just
2: text floating heads. let's
1: talk about the civil war era's greatest con man it's a bold statement i don't know he's one of them he's a good one charles lewis blood cl blood
2: i know that name
1: And I'm pretty sure we haven't done him. I tried to check.
2: I don't think so. Okay.
1: So he was born in 1835 in Massachusetts. And he claimed to be the son of Dr. Lewis Blood, L-O-U-I-S, who was a famous physician. But his father was actually Lewis Blood, L-E-W-I-S, who was just a uh, farmer.
0: Anyway, So we're already being a trickster.
1: Already a trickster. The reason he claimed he was the son of a physician was because he also claimed he was a doctor. In fact, he called himself Dr. C.L. Blood or C.L. Blood M.D. And he authored a book on medicine. He was not a doctor. He never went to university of any kind. Although he did have an interest in chemistry.
0: This guy is already reminding me of someone. Loki. Uh, He's
1: also reminded me of Dr. Love.
2: Oh.
0: This is Dr. Blood.
1: Okay. And that's how it ends. It doesn't end as well. I mean, um, with the
2: last name like Blood, you're kind of legally a doctor when you're born anyways, so it's fine. That's right.
1: That's true. That's right. It's a medical name.
2: So sometime around 1865,
1: so just as the Civil War ended, he moved... uh, From Philadelphia back to Boston, where he established an office in the old Congregational Library building and started promoting his medical services with full-page newspaper ads. Uh, What medical services might they be? Well, he had met in his many wanderings a man named Gardner Quincy Colton. Gardner Quincy Colton was the man who invented nitrous oxide. Also popularly known as laughing gas.
2: Hey, Dr. Love, Blood said, love this guy. Ties back into you didn't last invent
1: it. I invented it. I invented laughing gas, nitrous oxide. Actually, you know what it is? I'm calling it oxygenized air. And it's a cure for diseases of the throat and lungs, which were very popular at the time.
0: Throats um, and lungs were, were popular. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Everybody were had them. Um...
1: Coughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> coughing to death. So here he is in Boston advertising the hell out of his oxygenized air and taking credit for inventing it and honestly getting away with it because he was spending more on marketing. Uh, His business flourished and uh, he was able to move up in the world to better quarters. He said he could cure all diseases of blood and lungs by his special air, which he could only administer at his practice. And so what people would do is they'd come through the door and they'd encounter his very nice reception area and Dr. Blood would come out from his consultation room and he would say, oh, I'm so glad you happen to stop in now. I happen to have some opportunity to see you. Otherwise, I'm extremely busy, busy all the time, busy, 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 making so much money in this game. What do you do, sir? Oh, you're a lawyer. So you know how to make some money yourself. Well, let me present you with a business opportunity. I can't possibly keep up with the demand for my oxygenized air but I could license it to you. Hmm. And that's what he'd basically do. He'd give some services to patients, but really he would spend most of his time selling the idea of contracts, securing the exclusive right to resell his oxygenized air in various states and territories. And when they did so, they'd give him money and he would give them <clears throat> actual air.
0: Oh, Just okay. Just of air. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So this,
1: cause what he did at first is like you only have the right to do this in Indiana, you only have the right to do this in Missouri, you only have the right to do this in Georgia but he started running out of faraway places and the people that he had swindled started having time to travel back to Boston and he had to go in 1867 to run away from all the investors that he had built. but he had made a ton of money. So he went to New York City around 1875. He went to Chicago in 1876. Uh made his way back to Philadelphia in 1883, spent some time again in Boston in the late 1880s, always peddling his oxygenized air.
0: <laughs>
1: Let's talk about some of the other crimes he committed.
0: I just ima- I, I imagined him opening a trench coat. And it's just air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. And yeah, exactly.
1: So <clears throat> while he was in Boston in 1880, uh, when was this? 1860, in the 1860s. This is before he got chased out of Boston the first time. There was another person, a certain Dr. Jerome Harris, who unlike blood was actually a trained physician uh, who started applying nitrous oxide as well as a cure for lungs stuff because it does... I guess something makes you feel
0: good.
2: Right. You're all uh, giggly. And
0: I mean, if yeah, it really okay. is good for your lungs, why am I smoking a jewel and not smoking nitrous oxide?
1: It's not really good for your lungs, but oh. if your lungs hurt, it makes you forget that for a second.
0: All mm. right. I'm in. I, I love forgetting things.
1: <laughs> so Dr. Harris, uh, who is an actual physician, saw the success that blood was supposedly having peddling nitrous oxide. He knew nitrous oxide was just a thing you could do. And he starts selling it under super oxygenized air. Mm, my oxygenized air is better than your oxygenized air. Ooh, this made blood mad. Yeah, so there's kind of a marketing war. So one day, Mr. Carvel of Lewiston, Maine, had a bronchitis complaint. And he went to Dr. Harris and he said, Give me that super oxygenized air, cough, cough. And he got the air. And uh, Mr. Carville had an epileptic fit, started frothing at the mouth, rolling on the floor. Oh, but uh, it's 1867. So people are like, Whoa, that's not an epileptic fit. That's something else. And it's the devil. Oxygenized mm-hmm. air. Yeah, the devil or whatever. They say his mm-hmm. contortions lasted an hour. So this was a really good seizure. Uh, doctor <laughs> yeah it was a doctor seizure basically went fuck and he sent his patient home after he recovered from the fit it was just like uh we'll talk tomorrow well it turns out that mr carville's regular doctor his primary care physician if you will was dr blood so he went back to dr blood and said i went to Dr. Harris, I'm so sorry, but you have oxygenized blood and he has super oxygenized blood. I thought it might work better, but I got this big old seizure from it. And Dr. Blood was like, excellent. (laughs) So he uh, alerted the media Mm -hmm. and uh, made sure that it stayed on the front pages of the newspaper that uh, Dr. Harris was poisoning his patients with Mm -hmm. super oxygenized air and that only regular oxygenized air was safe to consume. And then when it started to get off the front pages... Uh, Dr. Blood said, hey, you should sue that Dr. Harris. And Carville did. He sued Harris, which brought the media back. And basically, Blood got a whole bunch of free media about how great stuff was out of this. Um, Dr. Harris was like, I'm just going to settle with this Carville guy. Like, I don't want any part of this. I don't even know if I was wrong or not. Um, But his lawyer said, don't settle. This smells like blackmail. And he countersued for it being blackmail. And he won. So Dr. Blood was uh convicted of blackmailing uh Dr. Harris. And mm. that I mean was confusing. But
2: that is confusing kind of whatever. Right? Like he but uh, it'll, t- come okay. it'll come
1: back. Okay. Yeah. It, in other words, Dr. Blood learned, oh, blackmail. That's a thing you can do. Okay, so we learned all about blackmail. But in the meantime, he uh, got busted for tax evasion because he wasn't stamping his medicines with the proper stamps. And he vanished. uh, And the U.S. Marshals caught up with him in Pennsylvania. And he went to prison.
0: Can I I do a a, a Lisa? Yeah. Uh, I didn't think. That I mean, didn't they have bigger thing like bigger fish to fry going on around that time than fucking medicine? Like, did they give a fuck about medicine? Weren't they giving people heroin?
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing. This was at the beginning, the 1880s was the beginning of the crackdown on like tonics and okay, serum medicine. The FDA was created just specifically because like people were literally peddling poison to people, and this was kind of what the FDA was created to deal with.
0: Epileptic. And
1: Dr. Blood was a very high-profile guy, thanks to all of his advertising and his very big blackmail trial that um, they were like, ah, here's someone we can make an example of. While he was in prison, he met a man named Isaac Sawtell. They became good friends and they talked a lot about their lives. Then he got out of prison. Isaac Sawtell will come back. So he gets out of prison uh, and he, uh, let's see, where was this? He publishes a book called A Century of Life, Health and Happiness with all sorts of medical information of things you can do in the home. Uh, And then, like a cult, he ran off with the proceeds. Uh, He had defrauded his publisher of all the money. He basically took all the money made on the book and ran off with it instead of just his cut. All right, so he's back in prison again. Isaac Sawtell still there. They're back together. Aww. Hmm. Make it out. So Isaac Sato. first of all, uh, oh, wait, in there, I forgot. Um, he actually blackmailed somebody after that. <laughs> that one's but like in the
0: real sense, because isn't blackmail yes. male, like do this or else? Yes. So the so, other thing uh, was not blackmail
1: between his prison stints and before he was thrown away for running away with money, he also got arrested for blackmailing a musician whose girlfriend he was kind of sleeping with. And, uh, he got an affidavit from her allegedly by force that she had been ruined by the musician and that uh, she was owed a bunch of money for no longer being a virgin. Um, that's blackmail. Well, oh, and I mean- he also like claims that Weber had paid for an abortion, which nearly cost her life. None of these things were true, uh, but he did blackmail four thousand dollars. Weber called the police; they arrested Blood. <laughs> they were like, "That's easily false." So anyway, he didn't learn much, and so he's in and out of prison. Eighteen ninety, he gets out. Him and Isaac Sawtell get out. At the same time, let me read you a contemporary newspaper account of where Isaac Sawtell came from. He had a brother named Hiram. This is from the uh, Chicago newspaper. Hiram Sawtell kept a fruit store in Roxbury, Massachusetts, which he inherited from his father and the proceeds of which he used to support his family and his mother. Last December, his scapegrace brother, Isaac, was pardoned from the state prison where he had been sentenced on three indictments for rape. On his release, he was allowed to reside with his brother, whose possession of the business and property was a great source of heart burning to the ex-convict. So I just like the language of that. Anyway... Basically, Isaac Sawtell, serial rapist, got out of prison, ran home to live with his brother. His brother had inherited the family business and about $15,000. And Isaac was like, wear me cut. Give me me cut. It's my cut. I'm also one of the sons. They're like, you're a rapist. You're lucky we're feeding you and letting you live in this house. And Isaac was like, I gotta call Blood. I'm gonna call Blood. We're gonna do something about this. I told you about this, Blood. And Blood was like, let's deal with it.
2: Are they oh, lovers?
1: No, they're just like. I mean, they're really criminals. in they're this together. Buddies. They're
2: blood brothers. Yeah. Stop, Whitney. So, blood. And...
1: Blood's <laughs> big idea is I know what we'll do. We'll blackmail him.
2: <clears throat> His favorite move.
1: So, yeah, exactly. They brought in another ex-con named Jack. Isaac stole Hiram's daughter Miriam, and then used that. Kidnapping to lure Hiram to a secluded camp near Springvale, Maine. When he got there, Blood and Jack were going to pummel him and force him to sign over the deed to the property to Isaac. Nobody's really sure what exactly what happened, but at the, end of all, at the end of it all, Hiram was shot four times, undressed, decapitated, dismembered, and the headless body buried in a shallow grave just across the state line in New Hampshire. Hmm. So Hiram's wife obviously realizes her daughter has been kidnapped and her husband's disappeared. So she calls the police saying, like, I'm pretty sure Isaac's behind this, you know, that rapist in our family. We're pretty sure he did this. They organize a search and they follow the clues. And sure enough, they find Hiram's headless body a few days later, 10 days after the crime.
0: That's but not the head? Worked. Did they find the head?
1: They did not find the head. Still, the fact that they found the body randomly buried in New Hampshire just 10 days after the crime in 1890 using 1890 detective skills tells you how badly they covered their tracks.
0: (laughs) Or that somebody else was
1: on the inside. Yeah. And he got caught. And when he got uh, arrested, he was in possession of two train tickets to Montreal. Everybody assumed that the second train ticket was for Blood. Blood's pictures were in all the newspapers. And two hotel keepers in Dover, New Hampshire recognized, oh my gosh, he came and looked for a room with two beds in it right around the time of the murder, and he was carrying two bundles, one that was like done up in wrapping paper that had Mm -hmm. some like clothes sticking out of it, and the other one that was wrapped up in newspaper, and it was about the size of a man's head.
2: Human Mm -hmm. ham. Oh no! A ham.
1: So the police are like, holy shit, I think we solved this one. April 1890, Isaac Sawtell is charged with conspiracy uh, to murder his brother, Hiram. He's awaiting trial on April 13th. He confesses through his attorney, saying he had plotted to intimidate Hiram into signing over the property. But he said, I didn't do anything with the murder. It was this guy, Jack, and Dr. Blood.
0: Um, This sounds like like a soap opera.
2: This is the name, all of it. Dr. Blood is just so much.
1: Uh, in fact Isaac said I didn't even know my brother was murdered until I got arrested and I uh, got a letter from Blood that said your brother had to be put out of the way let's look out for ourselves Isaac also said that Dr. Blood owed Hiram a ton of money so that he even had the motive to kill the guy to escape the debt so he has all these jailhouse confessions he's got the hotel statements the police never seek Dr. Blood They don't chase him Hmm. down. They're like, we got our man. We got Isaac. The widow wants Isaac. Uh, The widow says this Dr. Blood's a good guy. So don't go after him. Dr. Blood had come by the house quite a bit. And Hiram's widow thought he was a gentleman and a scholar. And very good with his hands, if you know what I mean.
2: Yep. Yeah. So P and the G going on right there. At the
1: trial, with perhaps a lighter sentence dangled in front of him, Isaac changed his story and said he shot Hiram himself. Uh, Blood was just there to, like, be a witness to the legal signing. He didn't know what was going to happen. So Isaac gets convicted. Uh, But instead of getting a lighter sentence, he's sentenced to death. And he immediately recants the courtroom (laughs) confession. goes Back to the first one. He's like, holy shit, he says, and I quote, Dr. Blood is the man responsible. Sometime it will be known, a deathbed repentance perhaps, and when all is known, it will be found out I'm innocent of anything to do with the murder. I accused him then, I accuse him now. If he'd come forward, I would have accused him to his face, but why didn't he appear? He didn't dare to. He didn't want to face me. Now that I'm practically dead, he can do what he wants. He has a chance to establish and prove an alibi while I've been in jail, tied hand and foot. Blood was responsible in every way. I don't mean... Say he killed Hiram. I don't know if he fired the shots, but I mean he was he was there and I wasn't. And anyway, Isaac Saadell, you <sighs> could tell he was very oh upset. Oh my god! Those are his
0: exact words. Died well, because that day. was still like public hanging time, right?
1: Yes, he died yeah. the next day of natural oh. causes. Oh, three days before his execution was he. He
0: abstained.
1: <laughs> no, he died. He literally gave himself a fucking heart attack.
2: Uh, so scary. So I mean,
1: uh, so he died on uh, December twenty fifth, eighteen ninety
2: one. Merry
1: Christmas. Uh, I mean, Blood, do you feel meanwhile... bad for him?
0: No,
2: not okay.
1: at all.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's a triple rapist.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Doctor Blood, meanwhile, uh, lived until nineteen oh eight, just hanging out in Manhattan the rest of his days, still claiming that he invented nitrous oxide and pursuing several court cases trying to get royalties to that effect but he was notorious and nobody would deal with him and everybody kind of knew he was a baddie even if he was too old to get up to the bad things anymore just for a little bit of color contemporary reports describe blood being six feet tall well built and erect in carriage
0: what does that what the fuck does that mean yeah,
1: wrecked in carriage,
0: erect,
2: erect oh, in carriage. Oh, it was like he's wrecked, man.
1: Oh, yeah, man, he's wrecked
2: in the 1800s.
1: He was said to be handsome with a fresh, fair complexion and small, sparkling black eyes, and looked much younger than he claimed to be. He sported a full mane of brown or black hair that he wore curled. His personality was described as vain but affable. And he was known as a finely dressed masher who handed out visiting cards to everyone he met.
0: This is and literally not- the devil. You just <laughs> described not- the devil.
1: <laughs> when he was not in his office, he would often be found loitering on the street corner below. Just That's it. Just shooting the shit. About. Just Fucking- hanging out. Just like, what's up?
0: Yeah. Getting I mean, people to sign their fucking lives over you with blood. The,
2: until the small black eyes. Like, why would yeah. you think yeah, right. that that's like a... I mean, I guess it was a different time. It's not a feature I would look for in a human. Yeah,
0: but then he's but, also like fair with beady-ass eyes. And then he's got like a thick black hair. That's the devil. All right,
2: I... Number one, I bet the devil is hot. You know, he's like the hottest that person you've ever seen. Pretty hot, just with some weird devil stuff. Yeah, like mm-hmm. in my head, he's more of like, wait, did he have? He had dark hair or fair hair? Dark, dark
1: hair. Dark hair. And okay. It was like brushed back and curled from okay. his head. Okay, so he's nice kind of like. Rash. Your Antonio
2: <laughs> 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 Oh fuck man <laughs> He's not super pale though. Let's No play.
0: he's not, he's, he's, not. he's got that
2: but oh uh, that's funny. I was gonna say oh. he kinda sounds like Antonio Banderas in interview with the vampire, but yes. Um, yeah, he
1: looks a little bit like really
2: part. It does. Caucasian
1: doesn't... Antonio Banderas.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, i in. Like
0: it. Al Pacino in that one movie where he's nice, a little, like, a
1: little squ- more square than Al Pacino.
2: Antonio's hmm. got, got like a, a very square jaw.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, dang. Well, dang. I feel like that was
0: just a wild ride, Karina. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: that
0: was just a, like what the fuck after what the fuck. I love it.
1: I, know. I don't know what he was, he was, he was too much, too much man
0: for this world. Whoa, oh, too yeah. much man, not enough blood. You feel, I feel like you should be like, Scott, I'm much, Scott, I'm well, <laughs> much, <my> is- <laughs>
2: If only we there could we put our heads next to hers right now, it would be perfect.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh
2: I read something about the word Scaramouche. It's like a it's like a type of insult um oh. in a different language. I can't remember. Anyways, that has nothing to do with any of it, but I feel like I was going to say the moral of the story is like, just don't lose your head over anything, oh. even government cheese, but especially literally if you're yeah. in Karina or Lisa's stories. Woo. And eggs are not dairy. <laughs> eggs are not dairy. You cannot milk a chicken.
0: Yeah, that's just a lie the grocery stores are telling
2: us. It's true. Uh-huh. It is kind of funny how they're considered. Like, when you're on HEB curbside, you have to go to dairy to find the eggs.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. like with the. It's I don't know. It's I'm going only gonna... because
1: we started refrigerating eggs in America for no reason,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's where the fridges were in early grocery stores. Is where they kept the dairy, so they just threw the eggs in there next to them instead of having a separate fridge.
2: That makes wait. Sense. You don't you have, have to. to... Yeah. Refrigerate like eggs if you now? Took it, yeah, if you took it from like a nest, like if you got your yeah. friend had chickens, you don't have to refrigerate the eggs they give you. Yeah. So yeah, I if you never refrigerate, if, no, right. egg, egg. <laughs> if I buy an egg,
0: one egg, buy one egg from a grocery store right. in a package, I can't believe in that out.
2: If it's been. No,
1: once you're
0: refrigerated. Like, yeah, refrigerated. It's Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't you keep it refrigerated. refrigerated exactly. Yeah. Hey!
2: Yeah. That was offspring, that was. that's kind yeah. of what eggs are to chickens, like yeah,
0: and that's what Charles what? was to his parents that he murdered. What yes. milk
2: is used for with cows, cows to. Mm-hmm. Their offspring. Uh, Karina's oh, just
0: purely in the dark. Karina, now. what
2: happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's like a horror movie. Uh, Not it's really.
1: This Blair Witch project. Yeah.
2: Cool. Well, uh, thanks for yeah. listening, y'all, and follow us at Weird yeah, Branch everywhere, and rate us if you feel like it, or if you don't, you yeah. should still do it. Um, would be helpful. Your life.
0: Uh, donate to your local food bank. Because I mentioned it. Eggs I, always, I And government it. cheese. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Yeah.